All right, welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Luke. My name is John Whitaker, and the Listener's Commentary is all about providing clear, down-to-earth Bible teaching in an accessible way so that together we can grow in our understanding of the text of God's Word and follow Jesus more fully in our everyday life. And this Listener's Commentary is a crowdfunded Bible teaching project. And so to each and every one of you who have uh, stepped up and donated to make this possible. Thanks a ton for your support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so through the give page at listenerscommentary.com. Listenerscommentary.com slash give. There's a link to that down in the notes below. All right. In this session, we are going to be in Luke chapter six, continuing our study through that chapter. And Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, or what might be called the Sermon on the Plain, at least some have deemed it that, because there are some significant differences, as we talked about in our last session. And just keep the context in mind that Jesus has this large crowd before him, and amongst that crowd, he has some of his disciples, and then as part of those those disciples, he's got an even smaller subset, his newly appointed apostles. And so, with this crowd of disciples and the curiosity seekers and newly appointed apostles of mine, Jesus begins to teach them. And so Luke chapter 6, verse 20 reads, And he raised his eyes towards his disciples, and he began saying. Notice that Luke uh, focuses on the fact that Jesus is teaching primarily his disciples. That's who his focus is. The crowds are listening in. They're there. But Jesus is going to share these words with his disciples. And what we're going to look at specifically in this session Luke 6, 20 through 26, is the Beatitudes and woes as they're found here in Luke's gospel. And so let me just offer some general observations before we look at the details. The first is uh, this, whereas in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, there are nine blesseds and no woes, here in Luke, Jesus gives four blesseds and four woes, and the four of each mirror each other. You have the poor are blessed, and the rich have woe pronounced on them. The hungry are blessed, and then you have the well-fed have a woe pronounced on them. The weep and the laugh, the hate, mistreat, and speak well of. They mirror each other. And so, four blesseds, four woes. Second observation is this, that the blessings that are pronounced here is not because you're poor, or you're not blessed because you're hungry, or you're not blessed because you weep, or because you're hated and mistreated. Those are merely different categories of people who can and will be blessed in Jesus's kingdom. That's the point. Not that if you're poor, you're blessed specifically because you're poor. Is that if you're poor, guess what? You can be blessed in Jesus' kingdom. Remember, there's a crowd of different kinds of people all around Jesus, most of whom were poor, and most of whom were struggling at a subsistence level kind of existence. Uh, many were hungry. Many were hurting because life was hard, right? And so Jesus is saying that people like that are welcome in his kingdom and can experience the goodness and the blessing of his kingdom. And so we're dealing with various states of being that people find themselves in, and regardless of how difficult life may have been for them, they can come into Jesus' kingdom and they can be blessed. Third observation, the word blessed 
in these uh, Beatitudes has the sense of fortunate or well-off. It's the Greek word makarios, and it's not the word that's used when the Bible speaks uh, of someone praying and blessing God, right? Or you pray and you ask God to bless so-and-so. It's not that word. This word, makarios, refers to an existing state of affairs, a state of being happy or well-off or experiencing good fortune. That is, they're not exhortations, all right? Oftentimes, we have read the Beatitudes as exhortations, and particularly in Matthew's version of the Sermon on the Mount, right, where Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We're like, oh, I got to be poor in spirit so I can get blessed. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is not if you do such and such, if you, you know, if you do poverty, you, you will receive. We're not talking about that. They simply pronounce that these people are blessed by coming into Jesus' kingdom already, uh, simply by virtue of the fact that they are in his kingdom. And so Jesus' words are somewhat ironic. This is really a fourth observation. They're ironic by normal human understanding, and they communicate a new way of perceiving and experiencing life. Like, well off and fortunate are the poor. Well off and fortunate are the hungry. That's just not the way we normally think about life. And so Jesus' words communicate a new way of perceiving and experiencing life. Regardless of where you've come from, regardless of your background, regardless of what you're experiencing, in Jesus' kingdom, even if you're poor or hungry or mistreated, you can be and will experience the blessing of his kingdom. Fifth observation, how can this be? Well, the reason stated in the second half of each statement tells us the why and the how. The good things of God's kingdom belong to them, right? Like, well, often fortunate are the poor because God's kingdom belongs to them. So the, the, the reasons they are blessed is not because they're poor, but because the good things of God's kingdom belong to them. As one author says, the, the special feature of makarios, blessed, in the New Testament, is that it refers overwhelmingly to the distinctive religious joy which accrues to man from his share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. Man, that's a mouthful, but I hope you heard that. The special feature of makarios, blessed, in the New Testament, is that it refers overwhelmingly to the distinctive religious joy which accrues, which builds up to a person from his share in the salvation of God's kingdom. Like, because you're a part of God's kingdom and you've experienced the deliverance and the salvation that comes from God's kingdom, now there is a unique distinctive joy that comes to you because of that. And that's why you're blessed. You're not blessed because you're poor. You're blessed because even though you're poor, you're part of God's kingdom. And now you have this unique, distinctive joy. And thus, a sixth observation here, Jesus' pronouncing of blessings and even woes call us to ask, where is good fortune really found? Who is really well off? And Jesus' teaching here challenges conventional human wisdom in this regard. Drawn from the setting, right, the crowd of people all around him, the Beatitudes are meant to show that the goodness of God's kingdom now coming and present in and through Jesus is available to anybody and everybody, even the people who usually are viewed as being far from it. 
you, people may think by normal human standards that your life can't be well off, but blessed are you if you come into Jesus' kingdom and the door is thrown wide to you to come into that kingdom, regardless as if you seem far off from it. That's how these function in Jesus' teaching. So let's look at the details of each of these then. The first one is this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew's version, Jesus refers to the poor in spirit. That is the spiritually bankrupt, the ones who don't have anything to offer spiritually. But here in Luke's gospel, it's just the poor. And in Jesus' audience, there were plenty of poor people, like most of Jesus' audience were poor people. And one of Luke's distinctive themes is salvation is for the poor and the lowly and the marginalized. And that's what is meant by the poor. The poor aren't even always just literally physically poor. It's the marginalized, the lowly, those on the outside. As Dallas Willard points out, in the human order, poverty is almost always taken as a sign of failure in every respect. And yet, in Jesus' kingdom, you can come in and you can be blessed even if, by the world's standards, you are poor. And it's probably the case that Jesus is referring to the ordinary folks of the land, right? The Yam Haaretz, the people of the land, who tended to be viewed as ignorant of the law and thus certainly not blessed for following it. But in Jesus' kingdom, the doors are wide open to them. Like the Old Testament prophets, Jesus says, don't be fooled by what everyone else thinks. The poor are blessed because my kingdom belongs to the poor and the lowly, right? Like, blessed are you who are poor, for, for there is the idea of because, because yours is the kingdom of God. Like, the, the kingdom of God is, is full of and wide open to the poor and the lowly. In fact, one of the major the facts of Jesus' kingdom is that the vast majority of those who enter into it are lowly and poor. And so the goodness, power, and blessedness, the well-offness and good fortune of the kingdom comes into the lives of the poor. That's the first beatitude. Second one, verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. The hungry are the especially poor, those who don't know where their next meal is coming from. They have next to nothing. Uh, and they are welcome into Jesus' kingdom, and thus the blessedness that it brings can be theirs, is available to them. In fact, in that kingdom, they will be satisfied. Notice that he says, now, blessed are you who are hungry now, and the future tense of the reason. You will be satisfied. You might be hungry right now, but eventually, someday, you will be fully and completely satisfied. In fact, in Luke's gospel, a great example of that is found in Luke chapter 16 in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a story that really embodies some of the things we see here in the, the Beatitudes of Luke's gospel, where the rich man is well off. He's got everything he wants, and the poor man is so poor, he's just hoping for a scrap of food at the gate of the rich man. And yet, in their eternal states, their roles are reversed, and the rich man is suffering, and, and poor, helpless, uh, hungry Lazarus, is he is satisfied, and he is well-fed. Um, and so that seems to be the force here. Blessed are you who are hungry now. You will be satisfied. Uh, that Jesus' kingdom, ultimately, you will experience being completely well-off. In fact, 
some of that begins to happen even in the here and now. And you can see that in Acts chapter 2. In Jesus' family, those with plenty help take care of those with little, we see in Acts chapter 2. That's the way it works in Jesus' kingdom. And so even now, as you come into Jesus' kingdom, uh, those that have more will help take care of you. So blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. The next beatitude is blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Mourning and grieving marks our world, but blessed are mourners. Why? Well, because laughter and joy can and will be theirs, both now and ultimately forever in Jesus' kingdom. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and when they insult you and scorn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Notice that, that the blessing is not just that people hate you because you're a jerk or because you're awful or mean. It's here that they hate you, they exclude you, they insult you, scorn you on account of the Son of Man. Because you've identified with Jesus and you've identified with his kingdom, and now people look down on you, people reject you, right? People treat you poorly because of that. Life doesn't always go easily because of you for that. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. In fact, Verse 23, Jesus expands on this and says, Rejoice on that day and jump for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For their fathers used to treat the prophets the same way. So even even those who, because of their association with Jesus, are mistreated or even persecuted, they, they still are fortunate and well off. Such mistreatment often goes with the territory, and it puts them in good company. It puts them in the company of the prophets of old, and thus it's a cause for rejoicing. So rejoice, be glad, jump for joy, because that's a mark of being part of God's kingdom. Now, in the human order, who's usually seen as well-off? Who's usually seen as fortunate? It's not the poor. It's not the hungry. It's not those who are being mistreated. Who's usually seen as well-off and fortunate? The rich and the powerful. But for Jesus, being rich and powerful by itself doesn't mean that you're well-off. In fact, if that's all you have, Jesus wants to say, how sad for you. If all you have are riches and good fortune of a temporary sort, how unfortunate for you. So in Luke's version here of the Beatitudes, we now get woes. And so listen to what he says. He says in verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, right? Blessed are the poor. Woe to you who are rich, for you're receiving your comfort in full. And that reason for the woe, for you are receiving your comfort in full, seems to suggest that their wealth is what they're really relying on. Their wealth is where their happiness, their identity, their joy is found. And thus, you are receiving your comfort in full. That's all you have is your wealth. You don't have anything more than that. And that's why why they are not well off. It's sad. Woe to you. Like, how sad for you if that's all you have. But it does raise the question for us, and that question is this. Is it wrong to be rich? Are rich people excluded? Well, no, they're not. In fact, you can read both the book of Acts and the letters of the apostles, and you realize, no, rich people aren't excluded. The problem comes when you fix your hope on your wealth. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17, writing to Timothy, 
he says this, instruct those who are rich not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So where is your hope found? Where is your uh, joy and your identity found? What are you trusting in for your life? Is it your wealth or is it God and Jesus and his provision, right? So that's the problem here. Wealth by itself isn't the problem. It's what we we do with our wealth and how we view our wealth and whether we depend on our wealth or we depend on God. Woe to you who are rich. And one of the things that we do see consistently in Jesus's uh, teaching, particularly in Luke's gospel because of his distinctive emphasis, is that uh, wealth is risky. Wealth is dangerous. And we need to hear that, particularly in a affluent society like modern American society where I live. We need to be uh, forewarned that uh, even though we tend to glamorize and even idolize wealth, wealth is risky and dangerous. And so be aware of that. Don't fix your hope on it. Woe to you who are rich, for you're receiving your comfort in full. If that's all you have in this life, and that's what you're relying on. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. So in contrast to those who are hungry in the blessing, here are the well fed. They've got more than enough. They've got plenty of food. And he says, woe to you, for you will be hungry. If, again, your focus is on and your hope is in the good things of this world and this life, there's more to life than just the here and now. And that's all you have. Well, you will be hungry. There will come a time where you won't have enough. Again, the contrast between the rich man and Lazarus in that story in Luke chapter 16. The next one, woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Again, laughter is good. Joy is good, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Laughter is good medicine. But where does it come from? And Jesus offers it by abiding in him, right? John 15 and 11, if you abide in me, uh, you will have much joy, overflowing joy. So the point is, don't laugh or don't ever have fun or don't be happy or don't be joyful. It is, what does your joy come from? What is your joy ultimately in? And if, again, all you have is the pleasures and the laughter and the fun of this world, you will mourn and you will weep. And then verse 26, woe to you when all the people speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. So in contrast to rejoice and be glad because this is how they treated the, the true prophets here, woe to you if everybody speaks well of you, because that's how they used to treat the false prophets. So maybe you should step back and think about yourself. If you're just accommodating to the culture and if uh, everyone likes you in the culture because, you know, you speak their language and you make them feel good about themselves. Well, woe to you. That's exactly what the false prophets did. They just said what people wanted to hear and they accommodated their culture. Everyone liked them. Everyone liked them, but they weren't really in sync with God and his way. So woe to you when all the people speak well of you for their fathers used to treat the false prophets the same way. Now, Let's just step back again from this and reflect on the point Jesus is making, right? We've already said, is it wrong to be rich? No, it's not. Uh, is it wrong to be joyful and happy? Of course not. We're commanded to be joyful and happy, and Jesus wants to give us that. Jesus was the most joyful person who ever lived. Uh, 
Are rich people not welcome to Jesus' kingdom? No, that's not the point. The point is to challenge and subvert usual human assumptions about where the good life is found. In the human order, who's blessed and who's not? In the human order, where is the good life found, right? Someone posts a picture on their Instagram feed or on Facebook of their fancy vacation and puts hashtag blessed next to it, right? Like that's what we assume. Like people who get to travel and they're luxurious vacations and they're eating meals at fancy restaurants. And we think, man, they're living the good life. And Jesus is trying to challenge and subvert our usual human assumptions about that. Uh, When you see an extremely poor person uh, with hardly anything to, to show for their life, when do you see a picture of them on your newsfeed with the hashtag, hashtag blessed? But in Jesus' day, and really throughout history, who usually are the ones that are most open to, in fact, oftentimes beating down the door to get into the kingdom of God? It's, it's oftentimes the poor, the lowly, the humble, the commoner, the average person. And the rich and the powerful have little interest because oh, life is too easy for them and life is too good. And they don't often know their deepest needs. Um, and so they miss out on the true good life, really being well off and fortunate inside the kingdom of God. And so if you're banking on your wealth and your comfort for the good life, well, then what happens to you in the life to come? So when Jesus pronounces these blessings, and especially when he combines them with these woes here in Luke's gospel, what he's really doing is he's challenging us to really examine where do we think real life is found? What really leads to the good life? Who really is well off? And Jesus wants us to know that being genuinely blessed, the true hashtag blessed people, is that, that's only found in his kingdom. It's only available in and through him and the kingdom that he's bringing into the world. And that kingdom is open to anybody and everybody, whether you're poor or whether you're rich. Whether you're hungry or whether you're well-fed, whether you're well-spoken of or whether you're spoken against, in Jesus' kingdom, the door is wide open to all, and that's where the good life is truly found.